And again, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to our seventh annual Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear, recommended summer reading list. It's our pick of what we believe are some of the best books for summer reading in three categories, picture books, middle school reads, and young adult novels. For a complete list of all the books that we selected this year, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Head there now and like us there now. Up next is Elizabeth Acevedo. The title of her book is Clap When You Land. It's our pleasure to welcome Elizabeth Acevedo to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Rodney. All right. So I read somewhere that you are a National Poetry Slam champion. Explain to us what that is and what that experience was like. So I have been competing in poetry competitions since I was a child. And when I moved to D.C., I decided I wanted to compete here as well. And somewhere in my mid-20s, I was on the team that represented Washington, D.C., among 52 other teams, and we ranked first. I've always enjoyed, you know, being on a stage and being able to connect with people and actually seeing my audience. I think it's really powerful. Okay. Now, do you remember the first poem you read that made you fall in love with poetry or the poem that impacted you the most growing up? When I was 15 years old, I was in a poetry workshop and the instructor brought in a poem by Lucille Clifton, who um, soon after became my favorite poet of all time. And the poem was, Won't You Celebrate With Me, which ends with the words, Won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed? And I just remember feeling like, wow, that is such a powerful sentiment and a resilience. And I, I just, I, it was one of the first poems I ever memorized by someone other than myself. Wow, look at that. Now, Elizabeth, your debut young adult novel, Poet X, it was so well received. It won just about every major literary award known to man. The bar was set pretty high. Were you stressed out about writing the follow-up project? Listen, that book... <laughs> The Poetics uh, did some amazing things and also kind of changed the course of how I write. I, I was really, really nervous about the next book, and I, I'm just thankful that the next book was already kind of done. It was, <laughs> you know, the galleys came out the day after I won the National Book Awards, and so even though I wanted to pull it back and kind of just like, mm, I want to be a hermit for a couple of years and not put this in the world, it was already rolling, and so I... I kind of had to face my own fears pretty quickly. Okay, so did it impact the next project, the one after that? There had to be some stress because that book was huge. (laughs) There was a lot of stress. I I don't write quickly. So I've had a book a year for the last three years, but it's because I've been writing for the last decade. And so while it definitely affected how I felt I had to interview and what I had to say about the books and my own nerves, the the stories themselves didn't change because I knew there would be more eyes because the stories were already done. I already had the draft kind mm-hmm. of cooking on the back burner for a while. And so I think when I'm writing, I, I can tune out everyone else except for the mission of can I get these characters on the page in a way that feels honest. It, it's the after part that makes me nervous. It's the, oh, now people are actually reading it. Now people are talking about it. Now they're blogging about it. But But not necessarily the projects. I think I was able to kind of go in my own little chamber and, and just and just cook. Okay. So was it a natural transition from being a poet to being an author? Was that a natural transition for you, Elizabeth? Not at all. I was a poet that primarily 
appeared on stage. And so my work didn't really exist unless my body was in the room. And I honestly, I'll, I'll be very, you know, serious. I come from a background of I went to majority public schools my whole life. I didn't feel prepared for college. There's a lot that I know I don't know because of the school system that I came from. Mm. And so when I had to think about being a novelist, I didn't know if I had all the skills to necessarily the most grammatically perfect sentence, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew I had stories to tell. I knew I come from storytellers. I come from people who are the heroes and the protagonists and who invented worlds that made me feel safe and loved. And so coming from that, regardless of my grasp of, of grammatical English or King George's English, I knew the stories we have to tell are too important for me to be afraid. And so I, I kind of just had to to lean into teaching myself how to be a novelist and, and learn on the way down. I love your candor. I loved your honesty on that. Um, so let me ask you this now. Your books are written in verse or prose. I get them confused. You can help me understand. But um, understand. Uh, help us understand what that is and why that's so effective for your voice. Sure. And I actually have books in both. So prose are what is what we're most used to. That's just regular paragraphs, regular sentences, versus what we talk about when we talk about poetry. So you have line breaks, you have stanzas. It's usually self-contained on a single page. And so though that tends to be the, the easiest demarcation. And so the poetics and clap when you land are both written in very poetic fashion. It's, it looks on the page the way we think of when we think of poetry. My second novel, With the Fire on High, is prose. So that's a little bit more traditional in what we anticipate when we think of a novel. And what I find is that verse gets you really close to a character in the way that poetry gets us really close to people. It's a moment where, because of the figurative language, we create a lot of intimacy. And so in a story where I'm talking about grief and what it means to learn about a family that is different than what you thought, your father had all of these secrets, I wanted to get really close to these two sisters and really get a sense of uh, what they were feeling in, the, in, in this moment where they lost their father but learned about each other. And so I think that verse lets you get nearer to characters versus a big story that's more of a fantasy. Probably, you know, prose is a little bit better for that. Okay. So let me, let's talk about verse. Why is it that you feel, and I think it's really good for verse for young people that are, you know, some of your reluctant readers, they can really connect with that, I believe. That tends to be a lot of what we're finding with the with the studies that have come out in terms of how people, how different students acquire language, but also that poetry looks a little bit more accessible. At, when I was a school teacher and how to work with students who were reluctant readers, sometimes the fear is that there's so many words and it's so many pages, right? And so students who are afraid of literature, who are afraid of their own grasp of literacy, really just struggle with the mental block of, I'll never finish this. Verse is a little bit more inviting, right? It's not mm -hmm. as many words on a page. It's a lot of empty space. There, there's no right answer that students feel like they have to give. And so I think it's a really freeing experience for them to feel like, oh, I can engage with this um, in a different manner than I've been taught I have to read for a very specific answer or I have to be as fast as my classmate. You know, poetry kind of relieves students of that expectation. All right. And in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to our seventh annual recommended summer reading list show. I'm Rodney Lear. For more information on the show, all you have to do are a complete list of all the books that we selected this year. All you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. We're speaking this morning to Elizabeth Acevedo. The title of the book is Clap When You Land. Now, let's talk about this book. I enjoyed reading the book. Now, it was based on some real life 
experiences, um, something that really happened, loosely based. Um, tell us about that. So in 2001, when I was in middle school, two months and one day after the attacks on the World Trade Center, a plane fell on its way to the Dominican Republic from New York City. And so here I am, a child who has just gone through pretty tragic events. I mean, I remember having to leave school early, didn't go to school for the rest of that week. We're, we're watching our city on fire pretty much. And two months later, the Dominican community is, is completely rocked by the fact that almost 280 Dominicans, you know, died in the course of 30 seconds while this flight crashed on its way from JFK to the Dominican Republic. And I, I've just never been able to forget what it felt like to realize that so many people could die so quickly and that the world could watch and potentially not care, which is how it felt. Comparing the two tragedies, I just felt like I was I, – I, we didn't get guidance counselors that we got the first time around. There weren't necessarily grief counselors. There weren't teachers asking how the Dominican students in the classroom felt. It's like this major thing happened and, and no one even paid attention. And so initially when I was writing or thinking about writing this book – I really wanted to think about the dignity of the people who lost their lives without it feeling like they got the same attention as other folks. And and that was really the impetus. And through doing research, I discovered a lot of the secrets that had come out from people on that mm -hmm. flight. And so it's a book about dignity and secrets and who gets attention paid to them. Okay. So let's talk about the plot in the book. You alluded to it earlier, but let's tell our listeners about the plot of Clap When You Land. Tap When You Land is the story of two sisters, Camina, Camino, and Yahaira, who learned that their father had a secret family when he dies in a plane crash. And so the two sisters discover each other in the, in the loss of their father. Wow. Yeah. It's really, it's a really powerful, and you do it in two voices. You do it in, in both sister voices. Um, why did you choose to write the book in that way? Initially, the book was only written in one character's voice, which was Yahaira, the sister who lives in New York City. And it felt like there was something missing, like the, it wasn't complete. It was more of a, of a character who was recording what was going on as opposed to a character who was trying to solve something or become something. And I was talking to the, the writer, E.B. Zaboy, who was a Haitian writer, and I'm telling her, like, I have this book and I'm done with it, but it, it, the heart of it is missing. I don't know what it is. And I'm explaining the plot to her, and she, you know, she just looked at me and is like, you need the other sister. Like, we need the voice that is, is rarely heard, that even this character doesn't hear, that, that even you didn't hear and, and didn't think to make a main character. And it was in that moment that it clicked, and that very night I, I began the first poem that ended up being what opened up the entire novel. And so I wanted to capture the voice that that isn't heard because of where she comes from, but also to show the way that two different people can navigate the same grief. Mm. And, and how it just feels different because we occupy different bodies and experiences. And the poem that you just spoke about, Mud, it has origins as well with the author that you talked about earlier. It does. So the, the poem, which is uh, about Mud, that was what I ended up writing after speaking with Evie Zaboy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you guys were in a workshop, I understand. And that's how that – tell our listeners about that, how that evolved. Well, this particular story, we were at a retreat. We were assigned to the same agency, and so we were um, meeting with other authors and just having conversations about our career. I was still very new. My first novel hadn't come out, so I was already working on this future book, and E.B. and I were roommates. And so we just ended up talking, and, and that night she's like, well, let's just do a little writing exercise. And the poem Mud came from the writing exercise, which was like just, just pick up a, a thing. 
And I think she had mentioned mud or I was already thinking of mud. And so I gave the word to her and it came out that way. Wow. Look at that. So let me ask you this, Elizabeth, being um, from the Latino X community. Um, why is your voice such a necessary voice in young adult literature today? I wouldn't go so far as to say it's necessary, although I do appreciate the sentiment. But I think what I am attempting to bring with my voice is we've we've had books from Latinx experiences. It very rarely touches on on race, though. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're talking about ethnicity. Latinx is an ethnicity. It's a cultural group loosely held together by language and religion. But that's a very loose connection within that that ethnic group. We then have to talk about race. And so while ethnically I'm Dominican, racially I am of black descent, I am of African descent, and it's been important to me to make that distinction in the books that I write about, that there are black people in Latin America, that there are black people in the Caribbean. And while they may speak Spanish, that is the language that they were colonized with, those experiences are ones that we have to look at that are distinct, right? Latinx is not a monolith. And so what I hope to bring to this conversation is how very particular Caribbean folks from uh, a heritage that is specific move through the world in ways that are unlike what we think of when we think of Latinx. If you are a black child speaking Spanish who grew up to Caribbean folks and you watch television, whether it's Spanish or English, you are rarely going to see yourself on TV. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want kids who come from these backgrounds to read themselves in books and know that they exist. And kids who are unlike these children to also recognize that the world is wider than we imagine. Okay, so don't hurt me, Elizabeth, but can I put you on the spot? <laughs> I know you are a poet, and can you spit a few verses out for us, just at freestyle or whatever you want to do? We didn't rehearse this or anything. Just come from the hip, if you don't mind. We didn't. You know, I'm going to do the – I have the book in front of me, so I'm going to do the first poem from the novel, if that works for you. That works for me. Go ahead. All right, so this is in Camino's voice, and it's her describing how she thinks of her home. I know too much of mud. I know that when a street doesn't have sidewalks and water rises to flood the tile floors of your home, learning mud is learning the language of survival. I know too much of mud. How Thea will snap at you with a dish rag if you track it inside. How you need to raise the bed during hurricane season. How mud will dry and cling stubbornly to a shoe or a wall to the lot of the dog in your exposed foot. I know there's mud that splatters as a motoconcho drives past. Mud that suctions and slurps at the high heels of the working girls I once went to school with. Mud that softens, unravels into a road leading nowhere. And mud got a mind of its own. Wants to enwrap your penny loafers, hug up on your uniform skirt, press kisses to your knees and make you slip down to meet it. I spend nights wiping clean the bottoms of my feet so you'll drag over a bucket, undoing this mark of place. To be from this hood is to be made of this earth and clay, dirt-packed, water-backed, third-world smacked, they say. I love my home, but it might be a sinkhole trying to feast quicksand, mouth pried open. I hunger for stable ground somewhere anywhere else. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciate Thanks it. so much for having me. All right. We're running out of time. If our listeners would like to find out more about you, Elizabeth, more about your books, how can they find out more? 
I'm active on social media as well as my website, and it's just my last name, Acevedo, A-C-E-Z-E-D-O, right? W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. Thank you for being a good sport. Thank you. I appreciate it. No worries. It was a pleasure. We've been speaking to Elizabeth Acevedo. Again, the title of the book is Clap When You Land. Again, you're listening to our seventh annual Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear, recommended summer reading list show. Again, it's our pick of what we believe are some of the best books in three categories, picture books, middle school reads, and young adult novels. For a complete list of all the books that we selected this year, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. Well, that's it for this edition of Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. Until next week, be encouraged. Listen to Sunday Morning Magazine no matter what day it is. Use your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear today.